0: Welcome to the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast, where we dive into your inner world to explore all of the psychological, emotional, energetic, and spiritual components that may be influencing your struggle with food and eating. I'm your host, Sarah Emily Spears, a trained psychotherapist and energy worker who recovered from my own eating disorder, and now I help women just like you do the inner work to address the real issues keeping you stuck in your problematic eating patterns. Because I assure you, your problem with food is about way more than food. So join me and guest experts as we discuss the psychology of eating and healing and empower you with tangible steps you can take today to begin to improve your relationship with food and yourself from a place of true nourishment and care. In today's episode, I'm going to explain the cycle of emotional eating, and the theory of emotional eating according to dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT therapy. You may be familiar with it, and if not, you're going to learn a little bit about the theory of binge eating today. Now, the theory states if you are a sensitive child and you grew up in an invalidating environment, then you are more vulnerable to develop using food to self-soothe and to self-regulate, which can in time evolve into more severe eating disorders, such as binge eating or bulimia. I'm going to break this equation down. Part one, if you were a sensitive child, now you may immediately know, yep, I was a sensitive child. And you may not actually know if you were a sensitive child. I would say, Typically, children just naturally are sensitive beings, but they are conditioned and trained to turn off their sensitivity because it wasn't safe or because they hear messages. And you might have heard some of those messages yourself growing up. Things like, be strong. Don't be sad. Suck it up. Don't cry. Be happy. You're being dramatic. Stop being so sensitive. Right? We could keep going. I'm sure there's a very long list of examples of invalidating statements or messages about emotions that children hear and that you may have heard as a child that resulted in you starting to sort of hide or tone down the emotions that you maybe naturally were experiencing. I had a call today with a client, for example, and she gave a perfect example of when she was a child remembering seeing her mom upset. And when she saw her mom upset, she got upset but she didn't want to be upset because she wanted to make sure that her mom was okay and so she would hold in her emotions and children do this all the time they can become the caretakers of their parents and so if you as a child were a really sensitive child and you didn't necessarily have parents who were able to support you and your emotions which is not to blame your parents. I mean, that might not have been their fault if you as a child just decided or concluded, I'm going to hold this in, but you never had the opportunity to learn about your emotions, to understand what was happening within you as a child and to learn how to effectively regulate your body and your nervous system and how to effectively process your emotional energy. If that happens, A child is going to try and figure out for themselves how to help themselves feel better. And children, I mean, they are resourceful and their little brains are pretty clever. And they often realize, hey, when I was upset and mom gave me a snack, I felt better. And and that little brain remembers, ah, yeah, this felt better. And so then the next time the child's upset and doesn't want to get upset for a number of valid reasons, they're going to run off and find food because that helped me feel better last time. Oh, and it helped me feel better again this time. So this pattern is a really ingenious way that children learn how to take care of themselves. I'm going to back up a little bit though, because I want to stay with this concept of a sensitive child. The point I was making is that you may 100% know that you were a sensitive child, a highly sensitive child, perhaps more sensitive than your siblings or other peers that you knew at that time in your life, or you were maybe a sensitive child, but you just don't identify as one because you learned how to hold it in or mute your emotions. And that was part of your own survival sort of protective mechanism. Now I identified a thousand percent as a highly sensitive child, I'm just going to give you an example. I was so sensitive to animals and this can point to empaths and empathic children. They tend to be like really emotionally connected to animals You may also have identified as a a sensitive child as maybe you didn't internally feel sensitive, but you were sensitive to others' emotions, right? And that can be an indication that this, in fact, does describe you. And so for me, my sensitivity came out in lots of ways. But a story that stands out for me was when I went to see the movie Free Willy. I don't know if you remember that, Michael Jackson, you know, whatever that song was, the theme song, but Free Willy, (laughs) good old 90s classic. We went to the movie theater to see it and I was hysterical in the movie theater because I was so upset for the whale. I was so upset thinking that that whale was hurting or was suffering or that something was going to happen to the whale. Like My little tiny heart could not take it and my mom had to literally carry me out of the theater in the middle of the movie before it was even over to try and console me. I actually have a few other memories of animal movies where basically the same thing happened. So I, and then after that, like, I remember the neighborhood kids tormenting me by playing the Free Willy soundtrack. And I would start to get activated and get upset again because I would remember what happened to the whale. Right. So for me, I was definitely a sensitive child. Now, you may have a few memories and things that come up for you, for your own sensitivity, and it can be really helpful to just recall oh, yeah, yeah, I was a little sensitive child. Now, the second part of this is growing up in an invalidating environment. And I already gave examples of some common invalidating messages like don't feel that way, don't cry, be happy, be strong. Don't be a wussy. You know, there's so many ways that we hear these messages. But I also want to clarify that growing up in an invalidating environment can come in lots of different shapes and forms. Maybe the invalidation came from your parents. Maybe it came from your siblings. Maybe it came from grandparents or aunts and uncles. Maybe it came from peers or teachers or coaches, right? So we're not pointing the finger of blame at your parents. However, oftentimes we were invalidated by our parents because they're the people we spend the most time with. You get to kind of put on your own detective cap and look at your own upbringing to decide for yourself if that's true. The other thing I want to make clear is that when I say you grew up in an invalidating environment... That doesn't mean it was not a healthy or safe environment. That doesn't mean it wasn't a loving or supportive environment. That doesn't mean you didn't have amazing parents who loved you and did a really good job raising you and provided this wonderful childhood. You know, a lot of times I meet people and when we're talking about their upbringing and this topic of an invalidating environment, a lot of people's initial response is no, I had a great childhood. I don't deny that you had a great childhood, but I'm likely to bet that if you're struggling with binging or bulimia or emotional eating, that you probably experienced invalidation many times at some point over the course of your childhood. Okay. Other people, and you may be one of them, have a very clear knowing that they actually grew up in a very abusive, toxic, unsafe home environment. And if that's you, right, then that's a clear indication of an invalidating environment. In an invalidating environment, it means your emotions weren't validated. Even if you didn't explicitly hear the messages, don't say that, don't do that, don't act that way. It is possible as a child that you learned these patterns and you learned it because No one in your family talked about emotions. Everything got swept under the rug, right? Children really discern things. They learn by observing and modeling what's going on in their environment. And so if you didn't have parents who were maybe emotionally intelligent or able to really acknowledge and handle and process their own emotions in certain ways, you may have made conclusions about emotions on your own. So for example, let's say you had a parent who was pretty hysterical, who was upset a lot at the time, who cried a lot, right? You may have made a conclusion. Oh, like I do not. Well, the second piece of that, that I wanted to add, they're crying all the time. And maybe the partner, let's say it's, it's your mom. She's crying all the time. And the father is like, you know, judging her yelling at her for being so emotional and you as a child think ooh i don't want to get yelled at by dad i don't want to get in trouble even if your father never said anything directly to you like you could deduct hey um it might be best for me to just avoid doing what mom's doing so that i can avoid dad doing what dad's doing yeah the the other can be true right like and these are a little bit stereotypical with women being more emotional and men being a little bit more angry but it tends to be The way that society sort of conditions us to behave. It's more culturally appropriate for men to be a little bit more aggressive and angry, more culturally appropriate for women to be a little bit more emotional or weepy and sad. And so we tend to see these sorts of roles more commonly within families. So, the second example you have a father who's a little bit more angry. You know, maybe he struggled with alcoholism. He comes home angry and drunk, right? And you see the impact of his anger on, you feel it yourself. You see it scaring your siblings. You see how angry and upset your mom is in response to it. And you decide, oh, it is, I don't want to be angry like dad. I don't want to be scary like him, right? And you can, can as a child, make a vow or a decision. Anger is not safe. Anger is not okay. Mm -mm, I'm never going to be angry. And so we start to create some beliefs about our emotions as a child, or we just have a total lack of awareness because we never had someone who could sit with us when all these big, overwhelming, intense emotions arose inside of you. We never had someone who could say, hey, that's anxiety. That's fear. That's sadness. It's okay. Come here. It's it's totally normal to feel that I'm here with you. I'm here to hold you while you cry. I'm here to listen to what you're afraid of. And I'm not going anywhere. And it doesn't change how I love you. And you're safe, right? Like we all need that level of attunement and support and safety and co-regulation, especially as children, because how old do we learn what the heck is happening inside of us and what to do about it? And if we don't have the parents, or the, the guardians, or someone in an in a authority role to teach us and to show us and to model to us and to be there with us in these moments, whether or not that's intentional. you know, If your parents had to work two jobs to be able to support your family, and we know they're working because that comes from a place of love, but you as a child, your experience is I'm home by myself and I'm scared and there's no one here to help me. We're not blaming anyone for that, but in that moment, you as a child are looking for a way to help yourself get through this fear, to get through this anxiety, and you don't even necessarily understand what's happening. You just know this doesn't feel good. I need to find a way to feel better. And as I said at the beginning, children have easy access to food. It is unlikely, although sometimes it happens that they're going to go find cigarettes or reach for alcohol, but... right? We're addicted to these mood-altering substances, and there's no doubt that food can be one of them. If you're struggling with food and eating issues and you want insight as to why, then I highly recommend you download and take the Empowered Eating Blueprint quiz that I've created to help you identify which of the five bodies of health that's physical, mental, emotional, energetic, and soul bodies may be at play for you and that you would benefit from addressing on your healing journey. The first step to change is self-awareness and this quiz is designed to give you that. Click the link in the show notes to access the quiz now. And so children find food and they have easy access to food. And very, very quickly, the brain starts to create an association between food and feeling good or food as love, yeah? And as that child grows up if they haven't learned any other way to self-regulate or self-soothe, that becomes over time an automatic habit. And as these habits become automated, because our brain really likes to make things efficient, it wants to take the conscious thinking out of it so you can save your energy to think about other things, right? So over time, as it becomes an automatic response pattern, coping mechanism, it becomes deeply embedded in the unconscious, which means it's automatically happening without you even having to think about it, right? And this is why it is so challenging as adults, because now we find over time we've reached a point in our life where we're now we're really stressed. Now we're dealing with all these emotional challenges in our life, all of these internal struggles, and we have not learned We have not been equipped with the the tools and the skills and the practices and processes to be able to effectively manage physiological stress in our body and process all the intense emotions in our body. All we've learned is how to feed our feelings. And it happens over and over and over and over and over again. And we wonder why we can't seem to stop or break the pattern. And it's because that pattern has been reinforced potentially over your entire life. Yeah. Think about how long this pattern for you potentially has been in play. Has it been a year, five years, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 more. I mean, you multiply that number times 365 days. That potentially is the number of days you've been rehearsing your emotional eating pattern. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And so as we're gaining this awareness as to what is influencing this pattern developing in the first place, you start to now see a picture of the path to starting to unlearn this old way of coping and relearn a new way of coping with your emotions, of dealing with stress, of supporting yourself in your inner world and the complexity of everything that's arising. So if we look at the emotional eating cycle, right, what we see is that there's a moment, there's a cue that's going to emerge. The cue could be an environmental stressor. I get a new assignment from my boss. I have a fight with my husband. I'm stuck in traffic. All these things that can happen in our world that cue us to experience an emotion or stress. And the cues can also be internal, right? You might walk by the mirror, see yourself and think, ew, I look so fat. And that floods you with shame right? So we have both what's going on in our external environment and internal environment that can become what we often call these triggers, but I'm going to call them the cues. And the cue is what prompts us to have a thought and the thought creates the emotional experience. And that sequence can happen in a millisecond, in a blink of an eye. And then suddenly we're having the cue to eat. We're having the cue to eat, to try and address the inner emotion that we're experiencing that doesn't feel good. Now, the act of eating does feel good. We are not denying that eating feels pleasurable. So in that moment of eating, the act of eating, yeah, maybe it actually is effective, but what happens when you stop eating is that (laughs) all of the pleasure disappears and all of the old emotions and stress surfaces because you didn't actually do anything to address that. And we tend to then pile on more shame and frustration because we're mad at ourselves for doing it again or for what we ate. And how has your brain potentially learned how to respond to shame and frustration and judgment? Oh, it doesn't feel good. So it tells you to eat again. And so you actually respond to your frustration by eating more, right? And it just loops you in this cycle, this emotional eating cycle. So one of the things I teach. Inside the Energize Your Life Group program is how you can begin to interrupt this emotional eating cycle and start to unlearn the old way of showing up for your emotions and starting to learn and repattern a new way of responding to your emotional energy and activation and your stress and supporting yourself in learning new practices to effectively feel your feelings as opposed to feed them right and over time the more you practice a new way an approach of being with your emotions you start to weaken the old neural network and pathway and reinforce and strengthen a new okay and that that what's the word i'm looking for accomplishment that task of unlearning the old pattern and relearning the new pattern is not an overnight process As I pointed to earlier, like if you really calculate how many days of your life you've potentially been practicing and rehearsing the emotional eating cycle, okay, well, fortunately, it's not going to take that long to undo it and to learn a new way, but it does take time. It takes time practicing, recognizing, oh, there's the cue. My brain's telling me to go eat something. Let me pause. Let me check in with myself. And the million-dollar question, literally, I want you to write this down that you want to ask yourself is, okay, I know my brain. It tells me to eat this because it's going to help me feel good. So if I want to eat this to feel good, that means something right now doesn't feel good. And your job is to start to build the awareness and insight. All right, what is going on right now? It doesn't feel good. And when you ask yourself the question, your body will give you the answer. Oh, I'm really stressed. Oh, yeah, I am really stressed. I just feel anxious. You may not know why you're feeling that way, but you can identify there's something inside that doesn't feel good. Maybe what you identify is a physical sensation, knots in my stomach, tightness in my chest. I just have a headache. I'm tired. I have cramps. It's my period. Oh, I feel like crap. But you've identified, oh, here's the thing that doesn't feel good. Maybe what you identify as an emotional energy, anxiousness, sadness, grief. Oh, yeah, I'm still sad. I'm feeling really alone right now. I hate this feeling. Oh, great. Now we have awareness. Yeah, it might be something that you're thinking that is really cruel and mean. Uh, What's the point? this is never going to work. I'm never going to get better. I'm such a failure. I'm worthless. How could anyone love me? And you're like, oh gosh, this thought is like pretty intense and cruel. And so as you start to recognize, ah, I understand. I'm aware. I've brought awareness to my pattern. And in the moment, the point of power is always in the present. So in the moment that you become aware of what it is that doesn't feel good, you are in a position to begin practicing, experimenting with new ways to address the thing that doesn't feel good without turning to food. Now you may still opt to emotionally eat. You may still choose to seek out food as a way to feel better, but typically people tell me I'm aware why I'm doing it. That's the first step in changing the pattern. As the awareness builds, You also start to build your capacity to start to shift the response and empower yourself to take intentional action to change how you're healing your emotions, how you're feeling your emotions, how you are showing up for yourself and meeting your innermost needs in new, effective ways. So we can thank your really brilliant childhood brain for doing the best it could to find a solution to help you feel okay. Thank you, brain. And now that we're adults, hey, we get to see that what we thought was a really effective solution no longer is effective. It's actually now creating more problems. And so I'm just gonna really work diligently. I'm gonna be committed to just starting to shift this pattern. And I understand because I've been rehearsing this pattern for a very long time, that it is not going to change overnight, that it may take a few months, heck, maybe even a few years for me to really be solid in my new way of being. But I know it is worth it. And I'm committed to beginning to shift this pattern. Now, there's a spectrum of inner work processes, emotional Processing activities that you can do. And I'm going to spend a lot of time in future episodes interviewing guest experts who can teach different approaches to you, as well as teaching you some of my favorite approaches. But today, I just want to give you the framework to really understand why you may have developed this pattern in the first place, looking at the theory of emotional eating according to DBT and how that pattern then evolves into adulthood to become an unconscious automatic pattern of emotional eating and how easy it is to get stuck in that cycle. And with this new information and awareness, you now can become more aware in the present of what internally doesn't feel good that is causing your brain to tell you to eat, to feel better. And from that place, you'll be able to apply future practices and information that you learn about, okay, now how I can start to feel my feelings. Thanks for tuning in to the Empowered Eating and Living podcast. If you're feeling inspired to start your inner work journey to improve your food and eating issues, then check out my group mentorship and inner work program, Energize Your Life. This six-month container is a place where you can learn and receive support with me and my team, as well as connect with other women on a journey similar to yours. You don't have to do it alone. We're here to help. Visit sarahspears.com slash energize your life to learn more and enroll.